Well, welcome, everybody. Great to see you guys this weekend. We've been in a, a series these last couple of weeks called First Things First, and what we're looking at is new ideas for a meaningful life. And so we've just kind of been looking at what God wants to give us, right? So there's certain things we want in our life, certain things we desire, and I'm talking about the deeper things. I'm not talking about like your hair growing back in the private jet kind of thing, but like the deeper stuff, you know? We want peace, we want freedom from anxiety, uh, we want joy, and we want healthy relationships, we want certainty in our interaction with God, that kind of stuff. And stuff and, and needs that are kind of basic to our humanity and the way that we interact with God. And so we've just kind of been looking at uh, what those things are and then asking ourselves, like, is the path that I'm on, the decisions that I'm making, the way that I set my life, is it leading me toward that or is it leading me further away from it? And could that be at the root of some of my frustrations in, in my life? So we've been like looking at these different parts of scripture. Uh, last weekend we looked at this one, uh, Galatians chapter five, which says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And then we're just kind of asking the question, like, does that sound appealing? Like, would, would, I, would I want love as opposed to hate in my life? Would I want joy instead of sadness? Would I want peace instead of anxiety? And kind of on through uh, the list. And we're just looking and saying, well, the Bible says that God produces us in our li- this in our lives, so he wants that for us. Generally, we would say, well, I want that for me, as opposed to the alternatives. And God would look and say, that's, that's great, because you want what I want. I'd love to give that to you. Uh, a- another place I w- wanted to show us this weekend, this is a new one, uh, James chapter three. But wisdom from above is first of all pure, It's also peace-loving, gentle at times, and willing to yield to others. It's full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism, and it's always sincere. And so the the Bible says this is God's wisdom that comes from him, and then we would look and say, would I rather have these things than the alternative, right? Would I I want a a manipulative wisdom or a pure wisdom? Would Would I want that in my life? Would I want peace and gentleness in my life as opposed to like conflict and harshness in my life? Uh, and you would just go down through the list. And, and if you looked and said, yeah, that's really appealing to me. That's kind of what I want in my life. Like if I looked at my relationships and I looked at my interaction with God and I looked at the kind of the direction of my life and I have the opposite of this stuff, I'd rather have that. And God would say, that's great because that's actually what I want to give you. Like that comes from me. You don't create that or generate that within yourself, but that is something that I will give you and that I want to produce within you, right? So we've looked at a few of those lists. We went all the way back to Matthew chapter six where Jesus is like, hey, don't worry about tomorrow. Let your faith increase, trust me more. And we were asking that same question. Like, wouldn't it be great not to worry about tomorrow? Like, wouldn't it be great not to be filled with that fear and that anxiety and instead my faith grows and I'm able to rest more in my relationship with God. So these are things that God wants for us. This isn't like, you know, the selfish stuff. This is like the deep stuff. God wants it for us. But Jesus says in order for you to have that, he wants to give it to us and we tend to want it. But he would look and say, there's a key to this. And the key is, we've been looking at this a lot, to seek first the kingdom. So we seek first his kingdom 
and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. So Jesus would look at us and say, guys, the key to this is to put me first in your life, first things first. And if you put me first in your life and you seek me, so I'm gonna trust you, Jesus, more than I trust anybody else. I'm going to trust your definition and your direction of my life more than I trust other ideas that might define and direct my life. I'm gonna prioritize you over prioritizing other things in my life. I wanna seek you first. Jesus would say that's awesome because that's the path to all these other things being added unto you. All this stuff that feels and sounds so appealing to you, the key or the trigger on that is to seek me first. And then we just kind of been saying, what's it mean to seek first? It means that we give God a predetermined yes. So a person who is seeking first the kingdom is just a person who looks at Jesus and says, Jesus, the answer is always yes. Now, whatever you say in, in, through your words in the Bible, uh, whatever way that you would say, do it this way, not that way, even if it cuts against the grain of my life, the answer is always yes. And a person who is a seeking first person, who God wants to give these things and unlock these things to, is a person who lives that way in, in their relationship with God. So we've been looking at that for the last few weeks, and, and we've just been saying that that's fascinating, that God would want what we would want, and he would say, but the key to that is I have to be first place. And we identified a couple weeks ago that when Jesus is not first place, whatever else I put in that spot and I trust more. So whatever I would trust or be defined and directed by at a higher level or instead of Jesus, that thing is first place. And that's what the Bible would call an idol in my life. And so we've been looking at the three big idols in our life. And we looked at the first one, Jesus pointed out it's the idol of money. And he's like, guys, listen, uh, if there was ever anything in your life that was going to be most apt for you to trust over me, it's going to be money. And how you function with money, the trust, the security, what you facilitate with money. And so we just asked the question, like if we adjusted our relationship with money, could that be at the root of all kinds of things that make us unhappy in our life? Would that be a foundational adjustment that we could make? And then last weekend we looked at sex, because that's the second big idol, so money and sex. And we said, what, what if we reapproached our how we think about sex, our sexual activity, and our sexual identity? And could that be at the root? Like we have total sexual freedom, like nobody's really gonna look down on you about that any, in any way anymore. The question is, is it working for you? Like, are you happier? Are you more secure? Are you more fulfilled? Are, are, you, are, are you less anxious? And we looked and said, if we went back and like adjusted that and aligned that with God, could we get a different result? Because he's like, if you're, if you're not following my view and my understanding of why I created sexually, then you're, you're trusting that more than me. So what if you put me back in that first place? Would that change a bunch of stuff in my life? And would it reorder a bunch of stuff, right? So three idols. The first one was money. The second one, sex. And then we're gonna talk about the third one this weekend. And the third idol, the thing that we're most apt to trust more than we are Christ, the thing that we're most apt to prioritize over Christ is self. So money, sex, and self, right? The guy I trust most on planet Earth is this guy, 
right? Uh, the guy that I believe in the most on planet Earth is this guy. The guy that's most apt to talk me out of following Christ and doing what I want to do is this guy. Uh, the guy that is most apt to blame somebody else for his own problems, this guy. Uh, the guy that's going to best rationalize away why Jesus doesn't mean what he says and it doesn't apply to me is this guy, right? So the guy that's fighting for the control of my life the most is this guy. And what I would tend to do, by the way, all of us do this, this is our human nature, I would tend to look and say, what I really would like in my life is I would like to define and to direct my life. And I'm gonna trust whatever I find, whatever makes sense to me, whatever feels right to me, I'm most apt to trust that, push Jesus out of the way, and take control of my own life, right? Now, for all of us, this is a big deal, and it's also the way that we're raised, okay? So I, I warned you guys a few weeks ago, if you've been hanging on and listening to this series, I told you it's gonna be disruptive, uh, because Jesus is gonna lean into stuff. If you're stuck in cycles, then you have found where trusting yourself is going to take you already. So if you wanna break out of that cycle, Jesus is going to wind up being very disruptive in that process. And probably the area that he's gonna disrupt the most is not your money, not, your, not sex, it's probably your view and your interaction with yourself. And when we talk about Jesus disrupting ourselves, we're gonna get really, really personal really, really quick. And I warned you, this is gonna happen. So if you don't wanna, if you don't wanna hear this, because what I'm gonna tell you, what I'm gonna show you in the Bible, you can't unhear. So once the bell rings, it's rung. So if you don't wanna hear it, like you should probably tell yourself a reason to get out of here real quick. Uh, because it's, it, you're gonna wind up pushing against it the, the rest of your life, okay? When I talk about this idea of dealing with the idol of self, there's probably not a more predominant or more uh, potentially offensive thing that we could talk about in church. Because we've been raised to believe in ourselves. We've been raised to find ourselves. We've been raised to find our truth, to live our truth. We've been raised to trust ourselves. When we say things like follow your heart, follow your dreams, we've been raised that I must be true, to thine own self be true, I must be true to myself or I'm being fake to the world. And we've been taught that whatever I feel, whatever I think is the highest discovery in my life and the highest truth that I can live by. So if I said to you right now, that uh, something like this, if I said to you, you should never trust your emotions because your emotions lie to you. I just pushed against every Disney movie ever made. <laughs> like, I, I, I pushed against most of what you were taught in school. If I said to you, there is a truth and it comes from Christ, which means that your personal truth, if it is not Christ's truth in you, is a falsehood. That would be a very offensive statement if I looked at you and said, what you think is true is not true, and if it's not true, that means Jesus is right and you're wrong. It would be a very offensive statement uh, to put out in our culture today. If I said to you that 
if you feel something and, and you believe that whatever it is you feel, uh, what you want, what you need, how you view yourself now becomes your identity, that that is a false identity, that would be a very offensive statement in our culture today, right? So we've been taught, all of us, me too, we've been taught that the highest form of my human expression is to engage and believe and follow myself, right? And that myself will find or discover or lead me to the highest truth about myself and that truth is my truth, okay? Now, the problem with that is when it comes to my relationship with Jesus is I cannot be the master of my own life and have Jesus be the master of my own life simultaneously. So if I'm frustrated with my life and I look at my life and I say, my life is discouraging, my life is anxious, uh, my relationships are broken, my family's in a cycle, I'm in a cycle, I'm struggling with addictions, I'm struggling with temper, I'm struggling with lack of, of self-esteem, insecurity. If I look at myself and I find myself in a, in a circular pattern and I look to myself and I'm like, that's what my life is, and then I look back to myself to find a way to break myself out of the pattern that I don't want myself to be into, all I'm going to do is repeat that pattern. Because believing in myself, where believing in myself is gonna take me, it has taken me. And if I'm in a place I don't wanna be, then the logical conclusion would be if I can't get myself out of it, maybe I should be open to a different idea. And Jesus is gonna bring to us a different idea and he's gonna teach us something that is really counter to what we would know or what we would understand or what we would be used to, okay? So let me show you this and you can consider it, right? And you can see if this makes sense and if you can see uh, if, if what God is saying is actually what's true of you, right? Now, to show you this, we're gonna go to the book of James. So if you got a Bible, go to the book of James. And we're gonna, uh, we're gonna hear what God says in the book of James. And what is gonna happen here in the first part of the book of James is we're gonna be asked a question and we're gonna have to like wrestle with that question and then we're gonna have, the, the, the writer of James is gonna bring us to a conclusion, right? So we're gonna be asked a question and then we're gonna be brought to a conclusion and this is the bell that's gonna be rung that you can't unring. So once you hear this, you can't unhear it, okay? So this is what he says. He starts off with this question and he says this in James chapter four. He asks the question, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Like, fair question, right? So he's like, let's get to the root of this. Uh, you're, you're in a place, it's a frustrating place. You've got relational breakdowns, right? So always fighting with the roommates, always the marriage is whatever it is, my relationship with my parents, uh, people at work, just human beings, right? So I have relational breakdowns in my life. And he asks this question, he's like, what causes that? At the very, very root, what is it that causes these frustrated cycles to be lived in, okay? So he asks this question, and then he draws this conclusion, which is a very difficult conclusion. 
he, he says this. He says, don't they come from your desire, from the desires at war within you? You want what you don't have, yet you, you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And when you ask God, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. So it's this really fascinating path he takes. So he, he stops. He's like, guys, think about this. What, what causes all this tension? What feeds all these cycles? What, what is it that, that drives that? And then he draws this conclusion. And if he was here right now, he might say, can we just, can we just be honest? Everybody lean in. Everybody lean in. Can we just be honest? Isn't it you? Isn't it you? Isn't it that you want something and you can't have it? And when you look at your relationships and you're frustrated, isn't it, when you look at like your roommate that you're not getting along with, isn't the, isn't the issue that they're not behaving the way that you want them to behave? When, when you look at your spouse and you're frustrated with her and you're like, you know, God, can you just fix her? Like she's messed up, she's broke, like something's wrong with her. I'm not, I'm not happy and this isn't what I signed up for. And this isn't what I expected it to be. Can you get, fix her, smite her, like whatever you gotta do, I'm open, like, right? The people were, isn't it because they're just difficult? Like why do they have to be difficult? Why do you have to be difficult? I'm actually looking at you. Like why, why do you have to be difficult, right? Why, why is everything so complicated? So he looks and he says, isn't, can, can I just ask you a question? I know that we all think it's them, but isn't it actually you that you want something, but you're not getting it? And then he goes on, he says, you don't have it because you don't ask God, so we're not praying about it. And when you do pray about it, God doesn't answer your prayer because your motives are all wrong because you actually only want what will give you pleasure. So I'm praying God Fixer, fixer, smiter, Old Testament, I mean, whatever you got. God, change them. God, transfer them. God, they're driving me nuts. God, get them out of my dorm. God, you have to, and James asked this question, and he's like, isn't this actually like all about you? And if, if, you, if you went back to the root, aren't we talking about you? And isn't at the root of a lot of your frustrations and a lot of your anxieties, when you're mauling over again and again and again what they said, what they didn't say, how they acted, how they didn't act, what you should have said to them, what you didn't say to them, aren't we actually talking about they didn't conform to you the way that you wanted them to conform to you? Or you would have to do something that you don't want to do. Or you would have to respond or serve or yield or forgive and you don't want to do that. So you kind of switch it and say, look at their problem. And James asks this really fascinating question in which he's looking at us and he's saying, hey guys, can we be honest? This is my take on it. Can, can we be honest? Don't we kind of lie to ourselves about stuff? Because you've manufactured a story, you've pursued a truth 
you've come to a set of conclusions, you've even mapped your way out of it, God, would you just do this? And when God doesn't do that for you, it feeds the relational breakdown that you have with people. Ready? And then it actually feeds your breakdown with God. Because a lot of what you're mad about when it comes to your interaction with God is he didn't do what you wanted him to do. And when he didn't do what you wanted him to do, you came up with your own truth. I asked God to fix this, he didn't fix it, so he must not have the power to do it. I asked God to intervene and he didn't intervene, so he must not love me like he says he does. I, I asked God to bless me in this way, but he didn't bless me in this way, so he, he must not listen to my prayers. Something didn't happen for me, and I'm going to label that, title that, storyboard that the way that I want it to be, and then I'm gonna come up with my own truth. I'm gonna draw a conclusion off of that, and off of that conclusion, that's gonna put me on a pathway. That is me finding my truth and me living my truth. And I'm just asking the question, like, has that worked? Are you happy? Are you full of joy, peace, patience, sincerity, gentleness? Is it working? Or if we got to the core of the issue and dealt with ourselves, removed ourselves from first place and put Christ in first place, would there be another outcome that he would lead me down? So James asked this really, really fascinating question. And it's kind of a hard question a little bit. And it's a question like you can't unhear, right? Because it, it cuts through all of our, because nobody lies to this guy like this guy does. Nobody thinks this guy's right more than this guy thinks he's right. And James cuts all the way through it and he says, listen, this is at the heart of your breakdown with people and this is at the heart of your breakdown with God. You ask God for stuff, but you really just want God to do for you what you want God to do for you. The next thing he says is really interesting because he leans into that mindset and he gives like a challenge and then he gives a ton of hope. So he says this, he says, guys, listen, what you need to understand, what the scripture says, is God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Whenever I put myself in first place and displace Jesus, I'm acting in pride in my relationship with Jesus. That's the way the Bible would think of it. So James is coming in and he's saying, listen, when you do that, when you do all that math and you talk yourself into that, God stands in opposition to you because he opposes that mindset and he opposes you being first place in your life. Now why would God oppose you being first place in your life? Because he knows it's gonna take you to a place that you don't wanna be. You've been first place in your life all these years, how you doing? So he's like, I know what you want, I know your heart, I actually want that for you, but if you go in the first place in your life, that's never gonna play out the way that you wanna play out. And I love you enough that I'm gonna stand in front of that and I'm gonna frustrate that. Because I, I, do, I don't want you to go down that path. 
you're gonna go down that kind of naturally, but I'm gonna stand in opposition to that. So James, like, you just gotta know this, but he goes, here's some really, really good news. He opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So James is looking, he's like, like guys, if, you, if you're gonna go down that path and you don't wanna hear what God has to say and you're not open to like dealing with the idol of yourself, then you're gonna go down it and you're kinda on your own and you just gotta know that you're never gonna sync up with God. God's never gonna look and say, oh, I'm gonna bless that life and give you everything that you ever wanted that's gonna cause you to go further and further away from my heart. It's never gonna happen. But he goes, there's really, really good news. If you wanna be a person who seeks first the kingdom, God is going to give you grace. He's gonna look at you and he's gonna say, listen, I know that you're not necessarily that good at following me. I know that we're unplugging stuff that's hardwired into you. I know that a lot of this is horribly disruptive. It's blowing up all kinds of stuff that you thought was the right way and the natural way and the normal way. But if you'll seek me, I'll help you do that. I will be with you, I will guide you, my word will be like a lamp as you go down that path, I will steer you, I will surround you with people who cheerlead for you, I will do all that. If you wanna go do everything for you and kind of be your own God, then like, I mean, okay. But if you wanna come after me, in a way that maybe you've never done before, if you wanna see things about yourself and things that you've never seen before, if you wanna understand that there's stuff at the root that you never knew was down there, I'm with you all day, every day. Because you're seeking me first, and I actually wanna get, I wanna produce love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I wanna give you wisdom that's not self-centered, that's full of, I want that for you but you have to work with me because I'm gonna oppose you because I don't want you to destroy your life, but I'm gonna give grace to you all day long, okay? Now, what does that look like and how does that function? So this is what he says. This is the end of the passage. He says this. He says, so guys, listen. Humble yourselves before the Lord. If you wanna seek me first, humble yourself before the Lord. Get out of the first spot, put me in. How do I start to do that? Well, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. So we have to start with like, I'm not going down that path anymore. I want to make a change. I'm gonna ask God to empower it. Last weekend, we were talking about sex and I said, what if you tried it God's way for 30 days? Well, if you tried it God's way for 30 days. And I was, I've talked to a bunch of you about that who kind of took that challenge. And it's fascinating. I've been talking to people and they've been saying to me things like this. These are my words, not their words, but they're saying things to me like this. They're basically saying, I never thought I could do that, but I've been sexually pure for seven days in a row. I never thought I could do that. I'm like, great. You humbled yourself and you resisted the devil and God gave you grace. He's a one million percent on your team with that. I, I can't remember, I can't remember when I didn't, I didn't act on a sexual addiction and, I, and I've been like clean and sober sexually for seven days in a row. Like, this is incredible, why? Well, because I'm resisting the devil. He flees from me God draws close to me, that's what James says. He says, come close to God, and God will come close to you. Like when, when, I, when I quit chasing the, 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 uh, the evil one, he books it, 
when I turn and draw to God, God runs to me as fast as I'm running to him, so to say. He's giving grace. He's on my team. Why? Because I'm humbling myself and saying, your truth is the truth. Your way is the way. And I'm going to lean into that. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts. That's just me looking and saying, I'm going to willfully get things out of my life. If I am my worst idol, I'm gonna ask God to dethrone me. And how, I, I wanna ask God to pull me out of the things that I placed myself in first place in and to put himself in that position, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up in honor. So God looks at us and he says, guys, you want a life that I want for you. You want a freedom that I want for you. You want healing, a healing that I want for you. You want forgiveness, grace, mercy, joy, purpose. You want all that and I want it for you. But the key to unlocking that is seeking me first. And when you lean into what you've been taught, find yourself, love yourself, trust yourself, find your truth, live your truth, be defined by your truth. When you live that out, that's a proud position. It's a proud position. Because you're saying, I don't need you, Christ, I'll handle it. And where you're gonna take yourself in life, you have taken yourself there, it's proven out already. But if you humble yourself, invite me in, take yourself out, I will give you grace, I will empower you, I will support you, I will help you, I will walk with you, and all of these things will be added to you as well, okay? Now, what does a humble person do with God? And what I wanna do is I wanna give you four things to pray about that will welcome or invite humility into your life. And then after I talk through these things, we're gonna give you some time to, to pray it to God, okay? And I wanted to give you something tangible that you could get your, your head around. It's sort of like a, a, a big ethereal idea or even just like a confrontation. I wanted to give you like actions that you could take with God, okay? So I think there's four prayers that you can pray. They're really simple. You can write them down and then we're gonna give you a minute to pray them. But I think these four things can be absolutely life-changing for you, okay? So what kind of prayers would a humble person pray if they were going to humble themselves before the Lord? Here's the first one. The first prayer that you might pray to humble yourself before the Lord is this one. You might pray, Jesus, forgive me. Jesus, forgive me. This prayer is called a prayer of repentance, and the word repent in the Bible, what that word means is it means to turn around. So when I repent, I turn around. So in this context, what I do, when I live for myself and I make myself an idol, that causes me to walk away from God. See, I'm walking away from God. I know what you say, I know what you want, I, I know but I'm going to walk away from that and do what I need to do. 
What repentance does is it causes me to turn around and walk toward God. Okay? So when I say, Jesus, forgive me, all I'm doing is humbling myself and changing the direction that I'm working in. So Jesus, forgive me. Here's the second one. Jesus, help me. This is what my friends were saying earlier. I haven't haven't been sexually pure for seven days in a row. Well, how did you just suddenly pull that off? Well, you asked for help. You, You wanted what God wanted. I'm so selfish in my relationship. I'm convinced that all my problems in our marriage is my wife's fault. How do you sort that out? Because you've, you've built that as a complicated argument for many years now. How do you suddenly figure that out? Well, God has to help you. I haven't talked to my dad for, yeah, you, you gotta have help. So a humble person asks Jesus for help. And through his word, through his spirit, through his people, there's a change. Jesus, forgive me. Jesus, help me. Here's the third one. Jesus, show me. Show me. I've tried and tried and tried and tried, and I'm totally out of ideas. And Jesus would look and say, right. What if you let me behind the wheel? And what if I showed you through the scriptures a different path what if through my spirit I gave you a creative way that you had never thought of before what if I led you down a path that you would have never chosen to go or even thought of before what if those things are the exact opposite of all the things you thought you wanted Jesus show me forgive me help me show me And here's the most powerful one of all. Ready? Jesus, change me. Change me. And that is a powerful and a dangerous prayer to pray. Because if you humble yourself before God and you start to seek the heart and the mind of Jesus and you ask him to change you, change you how do you break the cycles in your life that have never been broken how do you change a behavior that has never been changed how do you fill your mind with selfless thoughts and with a mind that has always been consumed with self Simply looking and saying, instead of reading the next book, listening to the next podcast, going to Christ and saying, Jesus, would you simply change me and make me something different than I am? Okay. All right. And this is what I want us to do. If you want, would you bow your heads and close your eyes? I'm, I'm telling you, you start praying this stuff, it's going to blow your life up blow your life up, right? So if you don't, if, if you're not open to that, I wouldn't do this. But if you humble yourself, God will give you a grace 
and a power. So let's pray this prayer. Let's start with Jesus, forgive me. Jesus, forgive me. There may be a time that you've never asked God to forgive you of your sin. You've never accepted him as a savior. You never leaned into him for all knowledge and wisdom. And you've spent a life walking away from the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus, forgive me. And maybe you've hardened your heart toward a loved one, toward a friend, toward an enemy. Jesus, forgive me. You have a secret. And there's a lie and it it underpins. You cover for it. You're ashamed because of it. You're terrified of being caught. Jesus, forgive me. I want to have a love for that person in my life. I want to have greater faith. I want to walk away from the idol of money, from sex, from... And you know that you're weak and you know that it's defeated you and of the Bible I haven't thought about in years. Would you show me a person or yourself, a model? I don't, I don't know how to be a good dad. I don't know how to, because I've never had that. Would you show me? Would you show me a different path in your word, in the counsel of a godly friend? show me a possible future? Would you give me a vision and make all this worth it? Would you show me?
humbled yourself. You took the nature of a servant. You didn't come to be served, but to serve you. You set yourself and your rights aside to do what's best for us. So Jesus, all that you do, all the ways that you give, all the ways that you've invested your life for us, we want to do that too. God, it strikes me that this is something that can't be done halfway. We don't just kind of add this to the list of what we were already doing. But to know you, to be reborn in you, to allow you to be supreme in our lives. So in these moments, God, as we sing this prayer, Help us to know your heart and help us to yield our hearts to you.